0: don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet, finance smarter. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys,
1: you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California?
0: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Hi, Katie. Hi, Brian. I'm very excited about today's podcast because we're talking to a real brainiac, and I'm not talking about you, Brian. I'm talking about (laughs) Neil deGrasse Tyson, and I'm excited to talk to him because I feel like there's a war on science, a war on fact-based evidence going on in this country, and I want to understand why.
2: This topic is probably more relevant than ever before because you have right now the president's budget going after the Environmental Protection Agency. You have the top regulators in the country denying that humans are contributing to climate change or at least questioning it. You have a a big movement in this country of people who are denying the things that scientists are telling us based on the research that they're doing. And Neil deGrasse Tyson wants to fight back against all of that and to do it through education and information.
0: And he's a great person to do that, Brian. He breaks things down and makes them very accessible. In fact, he's been called a cross between Mr. Rogers and Carl Sagan. He makes science fun. And if you don't believe us, just listen to the way Neil begins his podcast.
1: From the American Museum of Natural History in New York City, And beaming out across all of space and time. This is StarTalk, where science and pop culture
2: collide. Hey,
0: Brian, how can you not enjoy learning about the universe to the strains of Sexy Back? Come on now.
2: Well, I think Sexy Back was actually written for me. It's a a little known fact, but (laughs) uh, it's true. (laughs) (laughs)
0: to think about that. Meanwhile, did you notice how malefluous Neil's voice is? I mean, he's got such a great speaking voice.
2: We're not saying he doesn't have a face for television, but he also has a voice for audio. Absolutely. So we learned
0: so much when we talked to Neil deGrasse Tyson, and uh, here he is.
1: Hi, Katie. How are it's you? It's been a few years. <laughs> I know since we caught we were together on TV. I
0: know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and we have so much to
1: talk about. Well, the and universe is vast. It so. is
0: vast, <laughs> and and Brian is joining us from Los Angeles. And I first want to talk to you about your childhood and how you became so excited by science.
1: You know what it is? I think as a kid, we're all excited about everything. I mean, just remember that. So how did I keep my curiosity is really what, what right, that question becomes. Or what becomes. ignited
0: it to, to, to delve into science in particular. <laughs> yeah,
1: right, because you can be curious about anything, obviously. So, so it was – you know, I grew up in New York City Then my parents – uh, fully understood the role and the value of the cultural institutions of the city, the museums, the zoo. And my, when I was nine, we happened to go to the Hayden Planetarium. And, and I said this before, I sat down and like, they dimmed the lights and the stars came out, and I was certain it was a hoax. So I was so Because I grew up in the Bronx, and I knew how many stars there were in the night sky. <laughs> There's like a dozen stars. So this can't be right that there are these countless thousands of stars on the dome. Of course, later I would learn that that was closer to reality than anything I'd ever seen or experienced in the Bronx. But I can say without hesitation that that day I was starstruck, And And you never never... left
2: the Hayden Planetarium since then, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of still there, right? (laughs) Yeah, and then in adulthood I would become director of the planetarium. That's right.
0: That is such a cool story, honestly. I think
1: it makes a better story in a small town you know, hometown kid goes away and comes back and does good. In New York, nobody cares. Oh, uh, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I tell true. That to New Yorkers. Okay, yeah. I think else. that
0: is I, – I think it is uh, mm-hmm. really cool. And, you know, I think the idea that you were filled almost immediately with this sense of wonder – I mean, I think you're so lucky, Neil, because I think many people don't have a calling that way. No, nothing really strikes them as something they are really passionate about.
1: I – here's something – here's a bit of delusion for me. Ready? So – when I was 11, uh, I said to myself, maybe I shouldn't study the universe because it's so amazing. Everyone clearly will want to study it. And Everyone's going to want to
0: be an astrophysicist. <laughs> that, was,
1: that was a thought. I actually actually went through my head because it would take a two years until age 11 where I would have the answer to that annoying question that adults always ask kids. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Age eleven onward, my answer was astrophysicist. And usually Oh God, that sounds so obnoxious. It was completely obnoxious. <laughs> it was completely obnoxious. And in, in the following way. I think I'd smack you. <laughs> Just kidding, everyone. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in a loving I'd be lovingly smacked by Katie. But Katie, you're absolutely right. I did not know until I got to college how many people did not have a calling. That was still trying to figure it out. And they Find were, themselves. They, they, they were thumbing through what to major in in the book. And so I would never thenceforth take it for granted.
2: Well, it's interesting. As we were preparing for this show, uh, we learned that you know both your parents were intellectuals. Your mom was a gerontologist, which apparently has something to do with the study of aging. And your dad was a sociologist and worked for – the city of New York. And so did your parents encourage you to, to get a PhD to travel this hard road to actually becoming uh, Dr. Tyson?
1: So uh, let me uh, add some, some nuances to, uh, to what you've said. So my mother was a housewife while raising the three of us. And she only went to college after we were Empty Nest. So she married and started a family out of high school while my father went on for further education. uh, And he he became a practicing sociologist in the sense that uh, he was hired into the city under Mayor Lindsay at the time. And this was in the 1960s, so the civil rights era was fully underway. And so there he was being deeply concerned about the plight of the human condition. And later on, my mother would turn her energies to the plight of the aging and here's their son, the astrophysicist. <laughs> so that was a little weird. It was a little weird. But they never told me what to study. All they did was encourage the interest that they saw manifest uh, on its own.
0: But clearly, you know, from your story about how they would take you all different places and exploring really the world and the microcosm of New York, that must have— kind of stimulated you. And, and I'm wondering, That's I think the right that-
1: word. You use the word explore, right? Uh, who, who thinks about it that way? But that's exactly what it was. You go to a different institution each weekend, that's exploration. Urban exploration is what that was. But at no time were my parents saying, I want you to do what I, what I did that would be and, and i and i we we all know people where that was the case right what what would you tell parents about
0: instilling this intellectual curiosity in their children
1: i would say expose them to as many kinds of things they can be when they grow up as is possible given your resources and given your geography and i think they'll find they'll find their way so expose them and let them decide there you go
2: and as you were trying to figure out what to be i read that You had some reservations about becoming an astrophysicist because as an African-American, you worried that it wouldn't do enough to help your fellow African-Americans. But you changed your mind about that. Can you describe what happened?
1: Oh, yeah. I briefly – there's a little bit about this in my memoir, which I wrote some years ago. Uh, midlife memoir, I
2: guess. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna
0: say, you're pretty young to write <laughs> no, a memoir several years ago, Neil.
1: <laughs> no, a publisher approached me. This is this is basically twenty years ago and said, We want to hear your story. And I said, Do you know something about my life expectancy that I don't? <laughs> so they said, Oh, this could be just the first installment. I said, fine. So so in there I just tell the story. When I was in college, uh, I was on the wrestling team I wrestled and I had a fellow wrestler who's my weight class and Uh, He's black, majored in economics. And we're walking home one day. This was at Harvard? Yeah, at Harvard, yeah.
0: Yeah, that school
2: in Cambridge.
1: That school in Cambridge. Cambridge. Katie with
0: the
2: Harvard bashing. It never ends.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Brian went to Harvard, too. I basically have an inferiority complex. Oh, no,
1: no. (laughs) I think she actually has a superiority
2: complex about
1: UVA.
0: (laughs) All right, moving on. Go ahead,
2: Neil. Uh,
1: Let the record show that both of you mentioned this (laughs) on your own. I did not (laughs) mention it myself. Uh, And so he would later go on to be a Rhodes Scholar and study in Oxford, and so he's a, an accomplished guy. But we're walking home, and he says, oh, so how, how, how studies? And I said, I barely have time for anything. You know, my problem sets are killing me. So oh, remind me what you're studying. Well, I said, physics, ultimately want to get a Ph.D. in astrophysics. And he said, quote, the black community does not have the luxury of you studying astrophysics.
0: Ouch.
1: Ouch. Oh, oh. Ooh.
0: <laughs> what did, well, wait, am. are you channeling Barry White all of a sudden,
1: Neil? <laughs> <laughs> so
0: what did you say to that?
1: Well, so I was very conflicted because, of course, my father was in the service of helping the black community and, or anyone disenfranchised more generally. And so I knew where where that argument comes from. And I also knew that here I am in one of the finest institutions of the land, and I'm studying – the Big Bang and black holes and planets. Right. Oh, my gosh. And I said, so, so what he did was he, uh, he dug me into a hole and, and left me there. And I didn't know how to get out of the hole. But so I, so I was conflicted for many years. I would say, I can quantify it. I was, I was conflicted for like 12 years. I still went on to get a PhD and studied astrophysics. But I was conflicted the whole time because of that one thing he said to me. And you know how I finally got out of it? Can, I tell, you, can I tell you? Yeah. Yeah, because it, it involves, like, your your people, right? Your, your species. So, so I'm in graduate school, and a phone call comes to the department. And it was Channel 5 News, local news in New York. Apparently, there were explosions on the sun. And they called the astrophysics department at Columbia to get somebody to comment on these explosions. So I got on the phone with the guy. It was the weather guy because the weather guy is the science per- the token science person on all the shows. Right. And they said, uh, uh, can you tell us about this? I said, yes, it's just solar flares. This happens every now and then. Uh, par- Charge particles head towards Earth. Earth's magnetic field deflects them. We're safe from it. This- use this as an excuse this weekend to go north and enjoy the northern lights. That's what he said, oh, could you say that on camera? So I said, sure, okay. So I went into the studio, sat down in front of these fake books. <laughs> this is my first time, like, in your space, your kind of space, Katie. So we're sitting in front <laughs> yes, of – Yes, I only
0: <laughs> own fake books, by <laughs>
1: the way. <laughs> it was, we were sitting in front of these sawed-off books, glued, fake, you know, edge yeah. side into the thing. And so we recreate this conversation. And then I so that was and for airing later that night. So I went home and I called everybody. Mom, dad, sis, I'll be on TV tonight, right? Right? So and I'm I'm watching TV and I'm watching me interviewed and I had a kind of out of body experience. At the end of that conversation I realized, "Oh my gosh. The reporter did not ask me How do black people feel about the sun exploding? What do you, you know, does does this radiation affect black skin differently from white skin? There was not a single mention of the color of my skin in that interview. And then I realized I had never seen an interview ever of a black person on TV that had nothing to do with being black. Not including athletes and and entertainers. Okay? What year was this? This was 1990. No, no, 1989. Okay, and then I realized what I just did there may be the most potent force of the most potent equalizing force there is. You see, an expert and as a black person telling you whether Earth is going to survive. <laughs> Earth is going to survive. So now you see an educated black person on TV, no mention of their skin color. Now you see a homeless black person in the street. Now you're going to think twice. You're going to say, oh, my gosh, is this for lack of opportunity? Have we done something wrong? Is there skin to society? And no longer can you just stereotype an entire group of people who would just be your entertainers or your athletes. And I realized at that point this is the ticket out of this hole that I've been standing in for 13 years. It's not that the black community can't afford to have me study astrophysics. It's that the world cannot afford to have me not study astrophysics. That's what I conclude. And the
0: world can cannot afford not seeing you explain astrophysics. Yes,
1: and that's why, with this interview as an exception, if someone wants to interview me and I know in advance it's because I'm black and they want to ask me black stuff, I say No. That's not—I'm not the right person for that.
0: But you did have the, have this epiphany, and you thought, why aren't there more African-American experts right. having nothing to do with their race on correct. television? Correct,
1: correct, correct. So beginning in the early 90s, you started having uh, black attorneys commenting on, you know, civil cases. So attorneys were the first out of the box. Then you'd have others. You would have— uh, authors and poets and 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 newscasters and so now it's not even a thing and i'm delighted to announce that
0: you know it's interesting i was thinking when i read this as well Preparing for this interview, I was thinking about when I had my colonoscopy. When I got my colonoscopy on television, I used a doctor who was highly recommended named Ken Ford because he was recommended by a friend of mine. And I didn't want my friend, who was also a gastroenterologist, to get that close to me, if you know what I'm saying. So I, a friend of mine came up to me, Neil, after that colonoscopy and said, Thank you so much for using an African American doctor to give you your colonoscopy. And I said, I didn't even think of that. There
1: you go. That's it.
0: But That's, but it was so important it's so important to your point to continue to show really diversity of all kinds.
1: Exactly. In
0: a number it's of a roles general, on te- it's television. It's a
1: general case. It's a general statement. It's the diversity of gender, of race, of nationality. If once you see that, it makes it harder for you to stereotype.
0: We have a caller question, which I think is actually perfect for this moment. So let's
1: listen. Mm
2: -hmm. Hi, Brian. Hi, Katie. I first want to thank Neil because a few years ago, he gave me the best advice for being a physicist applying to grad school, which was to double the amount of schools you're applying to. Because if you're dumb enough to go to grad school in any STEM field. (laughs) I don't
1: remember using the word dumb. Someone's going
2: to be dumb enough to take you. You just got to find them.
1: My question for Neil is how did you go from being an
2: academic researcher to becoming one of the leading scientific communicators
1: today? <laughs> okay, great question. So uh, so um, this trajectory is not what you think So, because I'm not entirely what I seem. If you told me rank what it is you would want to do today, probably engaging the public would not make the top 50. I would just stay home or I'd write or I'd go to, to the lab. That's what I really want to do in a day. But what has happened is I live in New York City. This is the news gathering headquarters of the country and possibly the world. And so when the universe flinches, the the press calls me because I, I give them a soundbite that they can embrace and that they like and then they want more. And by the way, I worked at that, all right? I, my If you give me a minute, I'll tell you my very first time on national news because the, the case with the the— With the fake books, that was local news. But my first time on national news, I'll tell you We have
0: real books on national news.
1: (laughs) Oh, you got high budget. You got good budget for that. Has anyone cracked any of them? No, but they make
2: a more (laughs) authentic-looking background.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They make a beautiful wallpaper, like 3-D wallpaper. So here's what happened. 1995, I'm freshly hired at the Hayden Planetarium. I'm interim director, actually, okay? And the first exoplanet is discovered, a planet orbiting another star. Banner headlines. The call comes into the planetarium. They said, can we interview the director? They don't know me from anything, but I'm the director. All right? So they said, fine, we'll set you up with Tyson. Who's Tyson? Fine, he's the interim director. So this is Tom Brokaw's NBC Nightly News. Okay? Now, they, they just send up an action cam to get to get this interview.
0: An so, action camera, Whatever it
1: was called back then. <laughs> Did
0: they send whatever it the action chopper? <laughs> no, no, it was action news. Yeah, but action I don't think uh, <laughs> NBC uh, Nightly News would send an action no, cam, no, no. but so, whatever, go was, ahead. The
1: local news had the action camera. <laughs> You're yeah, yeah, absolutely right. Um, so, But this was going to air on the NBC Nightly News. And so I'm there and they send up a, a correspondent and they ask me, "How was this planet discovered? And I'm, I go on for 10 minutes oh, no. with, with my best
0: professorial reply. Hopefully this wasn't live. Well, yeah. no, it was not my live
1: it was pre recorded and so then I commented that that the way you can know that there's an orbiting planet is that the star responds to the gravity of the planet. We think planets orbit stars. No, they both orbit their common center of gravity. So the star is actually doing a kind of jiggle around with the center of mass, right? And so I said all of this. The only thing that ended up in the evening news that night. Was me jiggling my hips, <laughs> imitating, <laughs> imitating the host star, and all the rest of that got soundbitten. And I said, "Oh, now I understand. They didn't come to hear me give a professorial reply. They want something they can use in their mode, even though they're in my house, all right, in my in, in my planetarium." So I went home and I practiced sound bites because I don't want them soundbiting me. I'm going to hand you a sound bite. That way, you don't have to cut it. Give me any word in the entire universe. Object, idea, thing, just right now, do it.
0: Oh, gee, Brian, you want to do that? Sure, just
1: yeah. Single word. Pluto. Pluto. Get over it. <laughs> Earth's moon is five times the mass of Pluto, and many Pluto lovers don't know that. And when you tell it to them, only then do they begin to understand the controversy that surrounded it. So, yes, Pluto got demoted. Get over it. That's the soundbite I would give you ding, if you ding, came ding, to me ding, with ding, Pluto. Ding. So, so I worked at that. So my only point of this is to say, from that moment onward, I said, if I'm going to serve the press, serve television, I want to give them what they want and what they need. So, so a soundbite is like two or three sentences that are informative, tasty, And maybe make you smile. And make you smile so that you might want to tell someone else. So that's what I started working on, and they kept coming back.
0: But also accessible. If I were interviewing you, Mm -hmm. Neil, I would say this explanation has to be for the non scientists in the audience who need to understand in very simple and accessible terms complicated concepts. And you became an expert at that. You know, Tom Friedman explains complicated concepts, and he said, to explain something simply you have to understand it deeply yes
1: that is definitely the case you have to you have to know 20 ways to come at that idea so that you can find the the key to the mind of the person you're communicating with in that moment so what i what happened to me is when i started giving sound bites the press couldn't get enough of it and so I became more and more and better and better known simply from showing up on the news, commenting on the universe. To this day, people say, who's your agent? I see you in all the talk shows and all the news. And I say, "My, I don't have an agent. My, my agent is the universe itself <laughs> because the universe flinches and people call. Of course, when I have a book, the book has a, has a marketing person and they try to get you on. But I would say three quarters of the time you ever see me on TV, I'm not hawking a book. I got called because the universe flinched, and they want to know about it. You're and so,
0: like dialing astrophysicists.
1: <laughs> no, this is like the bat signal. You know, okay? we need the astrophysicists now. You know. So I'm a servant of the cosmic curiosity that burns in the belly of of us all. And I'm, I'm, I'm the
0: I'm I'm, what you, I'm a servant. I'm the servant of the cosmic I'm curiosity. A servant. a servant of the cosmic curiosity that,
1: that burns burns in the burns belly, in the belly of, of us all. God,
0: where do you come up with this? <laughs> Have you used that before? I
1: don't know. Maybe pieces of it. I don't know. But my point is that that the question, the, the, the caller's question, they wanted to know how I became this. And it's, but it was not because I wake up in the morning saying, how can I bring the universe to the public today? It's if I'm being asked, let me do the best job I can and then go back to my work.
0: Well, I have a lot more questions oh, yeah, to so ask you, it. and so does Brian. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a break, and right. I want to talk to you, Neil, about the current universe we're living in, mm-hmm. the political universe. Sure, we can go there. And what it means for science we in can America. Go, we can go there. All right. All right. That's right after
2: this. <laughs> From BBC Radio 4,
1: Britain's biggest paranormal podcast— Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California
0: is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty.
1: When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And
0: I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com.
2: We're back with Neil deGrasse Tyson, America's personal astrophysicist, as you say on your TV show and your podcast. (laughs) And we want to ask you about President Trump and the political universe in which we're living. Now, you've been very outspoken about the administration's budget cuts. You tweeted, the fastest way to make America weak again is to cut science funds. Can you describe the consequences of some of the policies that Trump is proposing, particularly with respect to science?
1: Yeah. By the way, so thanks for noticing that. My tweets, I try to keep them general enough so that they would apply in any administration. In fact, I don't think I even mentioned Trump once. In any of the tweets, well, make America weak again. That's pretty.
2: (laughs) That's pretty clear (laughs) which president you're talking about. Subtle, Neil. Very
0: subtle.
1: I'm just because at the end of the day, it's not actually about Trump. It just isn't. It's about what kind of country the electorate wants. And I'm not into politician bashing. You just won't see me shouting down duly elected officials. They're elected because there's an electorate that elected them. I look at it. As here's the president, here's President Trump. 60 million people voted for him. He is doing basically exactly what he said he was gonna do, or exactly what we all figured he would do. So people are surprised by this? I'm not surprised at all. So here's the challenge. The challenge is: what about the 60 million people that voted for him? I'm an educator. I, it's my duty to ed, that's to educate. That's uh, I wrote I wrote an op-ed uh, several months ago titled "What Science Is and How and Why It Works," and in it I share with people that science is is an exploration. It's not a matter of here's a fact. Now regurgitate that later. It's here's here is data. What does the data mean? How does data turn into knowledge? How does knowledge turn into wisdom? And insight. How do you judge whether something is true or not? And the methods and tools of science, when applied sensibly, they're designed to empower you to know when something is true when you otherwise think it's not, and when something is not true when you otherwise think it is. That it's an inoculation against. Charlatans of the world who would exploit your ignorance of the laws of nature for their gain, or, or maybe they don't know themselves, but they've risen to power and just simply don't know.
0: So this anti-science, anti-intellectualism that seems to be pervasive, not only in this country but in other countries as
1: well. Some other Australia as well. It's
0: it's a result of a lack of education,
1: A, uh, a lack of a kind of education that that enables you to confront information skeptically.
2: So when Americans hear from commentators on cable news shows or even from senior government officials that we don't know what's causing climate change, we don't know the extent to which humans are impacting it, how are they supposed to assess that information and confront it?
1: So now you're an adult, and you've already been sort of ossified from however you were educated in school. How do you fix adults? that's the hardest thing. That's really hard because you you weren't trained how to think freshly about new ideas. And what you can say is, well, um, are you in denial of E equals MC squared? That's the founding formula for all of the Cold War. Are you in denial of the GPS instructions on your smartphone that tells you to turn left to get to grandma's house. You know, there's the famous uh, apocryphal quote where, you know, what do I need a space program for? I have the weather channel. <laughs> when, of course, every image we have of hurricanes is from a satellite. Okay, unless there's a plane that flew over it, but that's you don't, you don't get the best images from that. So you get people who don't fully know and, and understand and appreciate the magnitude of the impact of science on their lives.
0: But that seems to be translating into antipathy towards science yes. and towards intellectuals. Yes.
1: It's, it's, a, it's a complacency with the science that has made their lives so comfortable and so healthy. So, is it a
2: complacency or is it an ideology that leads them to that conclusion because it's the only conclusion that validates their politics? So if yeah. you're against government intervention in the economy and confronting climate change requires government intervention in the economy, you can't be for confronting climate change.
1: Right, right. So, yeah, that's the ossification of, of your mind. So So people need to realize – and i've said i've said this many times that when an, when a new truth emerges through scientific research it is true whether or not you believe in it and so the the sooner you come to realize that the sooner you will recognize what a scientific truth is and then you you should have the politics conversation on the about those truths okay so in other words rather than deny that humans are warming the earth you recognize that humans are warming the earth because that's what the science shows. Now go in the back room and duke it out with your opponents across the aisle. Do you have carbon tax? Do you what subsidize? What do about it? Well, in other yeah, words. yeah, exactly. The politics but should be. But you don't
0: have to explore that if you just say it's not happening,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> so I, what I w- thought of doing was taking everyone who denies the, the the climate change and put them on a low-lying island. So <laughs> and have them ask them, "Will you buy real estate on coastal communities?" Uh, and just see if they'll put their money where their mouth is. Do you know who is fully aware of this and who is listening to scientists? The military and insurance companies because and urban planners and urban planners. <laughs> so it's I th- it's embarrassing. That, in this, the twenty first century, the United States of America, a country that went to the moon in a decade that was itself rather turbulent, we had a hot war, a cold war, the civil rights movement, campus unrest, but at no time were people saying, "I don't uh, that uh, science that's not for me." Nobody said it back then. We were celebrating what science could do for us.
0: What do you think this will do to our standing in the world? How can we invest, how can we start training this next generation of scientists because we can't keep going the way we're going?
1: So I have some glimmer of hope. Here's the reality. Historically, throughout the entire 20th century, immigrants came to the United States from many countries who had an interest in science. In fact, a third of all the science Nobel Prizes that went to Americans went to first generation immigrants. A third! A third! Okay, so... I don't mind if American-born citizens are not going into science. If we have others from around the world, we're getting the best and brightest from around the world. If they're interested in science and they can exploit our institutions and stay here – and bring their intellectual capital to our land and our economy and our
2: health. But Well, and staying here is the key point because what we want to do, what we're doing now in many cases is they come here, they're educated here, and then we kick them out so we don't get the benefits of the education that this and country is providing. And now h b
0: visas are being reconsidered, right? Those important visas for people who are working in tech, especially right. in we're, science.
1: Yeah, so either we kick them out or we didn't let them in in the first place. So in that case, you, you it is double disaster. Because now we're not training the next generation of native-born Americans, nor are we allowing in international people who have an interest in science. And meanwhile, countries that were previously developing countries, or countries we never thought would be science powerhouses, are building their own infrastructure for this. Like
0: Singapore, which dedicates a percentage of its GDP to medical research. There you go.
1: There you go. And as that rises up in China and Singapore and, and India, no longer will people want to come here, even if we wanted them to, because they will have opportunities in their motherland. And and we will be sort of orphaned in place and, we, we and will, our stature will decrease. That, that was my very next sentence. We will fade from significance on the world stage. It's not a cliff that you fall over, which, which maybe would be better if it were, because then you get injured at the bottom and pick yourself up and fix it. It's this slow glide.
0: And, in fact, I think it's already happening because, as I mentioned, I spent uh, last night talking to a lot of the preeminent cancer researchers mm-hmm. in the country. And one said – that when she was at the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences, they said, you know, somebody said to her, we used to look up to the United States as the pinnacle of scientific exploration, yeah. scientific investigation. And now— Justifiably. We don't feel that way.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's the beginning of the end of America's greatness. And so, so I've made this point many times with Trump as president. I said, you cannot make America great again until you make America smart again. It's that simple. And we all want to make America great again. And I don't think anyone wants to make America dumb. So let's try to make America smart again, because it's that investment in who and what we are, in our creativity, and in our innovations that enables the greatness that we all remembered.
0: Especially when you think of the future, you were talking about that earlier, about science being the key to our future. Brian and I both talked about uh this study we read recently that said uh, almost four in ten American jobs could be reassigned to automated bots by the early twenty thirties, according to a new I report. have no doubt. I have no doubt. So if you know if we're going to adjust to this new economy, if we're going to thrive in this new economy we have to teach science. Yes.
2: Well, and, and it used to—it used to feel like scientific and technological progress was our friend; that it was helping us to experience better products and services. Now it seems like it's stealing our jobs and crushing our incomes. So how do no, we it's turn always, around that perception?
1: No, no, it's always been taking jobs. It, it's always been doing that, uh, especially automation. Uh, you know, go, look at any automotive factory. You know, they're they're bots welding your cars. By the way, when cars were handmade rather than bot-made, that was at an era where, I mean, we're old enough on this call to remember there was a very... Speak for yourself, <laughs> Neil. <laughs> there was a very real chance in the morning that your car would not start for some mysterious reason. Uh, my son who was at the time 14, we're watching a movie and there's a chase scene and the person runs to the car gets in the car and tries to start the car. And he says, he said, why isn't the car starting? <laughs> he had never seen this as a thing in his entire life. The car just always started. His only thought was, is it out of gas? I said, no, no, no. There's a chance cars didn't used to start. Give it a chance. He'll get it started eventually. You know, Unless he floods it. <laughs> Unless he floods it. But then I have to explain what that is. Right? <laughs> and so my point is that You want to be prepared for the future. And there's a limit to how many jobs bots can take. You know why? Because if robots take all of our jobs, then none of us will have any money to buy the products that the robots make. (laughs) So it's a self-limiting issue. But, Neil, what do you
2: say to people who are very concerned about this, who work maybe even in advanced manufacturing or accounting or architects, whose jobs weren't vulnerable to technological disruption before, but now they seem to be.
1: That's why it's always important to stay on the leading edge of innovation because you're not going to have a bot on the leading edge. You know you're going to have your bot? The bot is after you have invented something and then the bot can do it for cheaper than the labor would otherwise be to pay to have it made. You move jobs forward with that innovation frontier. If you stagnate, then you'll spend your entire life whining whining that the rest of the world is taking your jobs and why they say t- this is not fair. Then you got to put on a tariff and then it becomes a whole political thing. So I cannot overemphasize the importance of fostering innovation in a country. As long as you innovate, you will always have a place to work. That the bots haven't figured out how to catch up with you yet. (laughs) Stay ahead of the bots. And speaking of
0: innovating, Mm -hmm. um, I just want to quickly ask you about STEM because it's something I think about Mm -hmm. a lot, especially for girls. Mm -hmm. We need more women involved in IT, we need Mm -hmm. more women scientists, we need more women researchers. Mm -hmm. Um, How can we get girls more engaged in science, Neil?
1: Yeah. I, I don't have the silver bullet here. And it's not just girls. It's underrepresented groups in general. True. Right? What, what African is going Americans. on? African-Americans, for example. Uh, so I don't have a silver bullet. I don't interact with the public differently. If the audience is female, male, or ethnically, uh, I am I try to bring the same messaging anytime I'm exposed in the public. So I, I don't have an answer here. And I'm still thinking about it. What What might be Interesting, innovative ways educationally um, to to stimulate a broader baseline of interest.
2: Meanwhile, we've seemed to have a run on ignorance lately. With four NBA stars since February publicly saying that the Earth is flat, you got into a Twitter feud with a rapper who believes that as well. How do you explain this regression that seems to be happening around scientific knowledge? You
1: know, there is Shaq. You know, Shaq. Saying, well, I don't see how, I'm paraphrasing, how could the Chinese people be upside down? They'd fall off, so Earth must be flat. So someone played that quote back to me on a radio station, and I was trying to think, well, how am I going to respond to this? So I said, we live in a free country. You ought to be able to think whatever you want. You want to think the world is flat? Go right ahead. Just try to make sure you never become head of NASA. (laughs) We will find jobs for you where you can think the world is flat and they'll still pay you for what you're doing. So in a free country, I don't beat people over the head to say whatever they want. But if you rise to positions of power. And influence. And influence. And you do not understand what science is and how and why it works. That's just the beginning of the end of an informed democracy. And that's what we should fear.
0: Let me ask you about space exploration. Mm -hmm. Um, Last week, Elon Musk's company, SpaceX, reused a rocket to launch a satellite into space. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think about the future of space exploration? Because it was interesting to me that NASA's budget, compared to a lot of other places, wasn't cut nearly as much.
1: Right, it was was cut just by a tiny little bit. That's correct. And so that's a little bit of of a... of a wolf in sheep's clothing there, because uh, from uh, from statements that I've seen uh, and heard, a, a tandem goal is yes, NASA keep exploring the universe. Meanwhile, we'll remove all obligation we have previously given you to study Earth. So there's been talk about removing Earth research from the portfolio of NASA, and that and and that would that's 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 a recipe for disaster because the Earth is a planet. And you want to study planets in context. We have a planet to our left that has a runaway greenhouse effect, Venus. It's 900 degrees Fahrenheit. We have a planet to our right, Mars, that once had running liquid water coursing over its surface, bone dry today. Something bad happened on each of those planets. And one is to our left and one is to our right. And the context of this study is what gives you insights into uh, what knobs are we turning I don't want to look like Venus, and I don't want to look like Mars. Is there insights I can get to how I should then treat my own planet?
2: Why do you think people wouldn't want to learn those insights?
1: Oh, because it would give you further information about how much human uh, intervention in the environment is warming the the planet. It's, it's, it's a way to undermine studies— That would find scientific results that conflict with your political philosophy.
0: A quick footnote. Shaq did say he was kidding when he made that statement. But Kyrie Irving from the Cleveland Cavaliers says he was not joking. So – Maybe they should have a debate.
1: <laughs> or or we, we take everyone who thinks Earth is flat and just put them into orbit and leave them there. <laughs> put
0: them on Elon Musk's SpaceX?
1: O- only bring them back after they confess that they, they were wrong all along. So uh, Elon Musk is trying to do this on the cheap. And occasionally you'll see a rocket explode and people say, oh, was this? Does this, is, this a bad, is this a setback for Elon Musk? The fact that he has exploding rockets is evidence he's on the frontier. You are only on the frontier when you are making mistakes. Do you admire him? Yes. Oh, you need somebody now. Now, I'm also his biggest as critic. The people, in the press, especially, is thinking he's going to lead us into space, not NASA. That is not going to happen. That's not how this works. Okay. Why not? Uh, oh, because. <laughs> just imagine the imagine the, the the venture capitalist meeting. All right. So here I'm, Elon Musk, and then. I got five venture capitalists. What's up, Elon? You need some cash. What for? Well, I want to put the first humans on Mars. Okay, how much will it cost? Hundreds of billions of dollars, probably more. Uh, Okay, Um, will it be dangerous? Yes, people will probably die. Uh, What's the return on our investment? I have no idea, probably nothing. It's a five-minute meeting, okay? Governments do these things because governments have time horizons much longer than quarterly and annual reports. So what will happen is the first humans on Mars will likely be Chinese humans or American humans paid by the government. We may do it on Elon's rocket. That could happen. I I don't have a problem with that. But it's not him doing it as a business case, not initially.
2: But this brings us back to what we were talking about at the outset of our conversation, which is if you cut the EPA's Office of Research and Development in half, If you cut the National Institutes of Health by 18 percent, and your argument is, well, private industry and drug companies should do this research, not taxpayers, what you're really doing is cutting off this research entirely, that the private industry won't do it.
1: No, so what you're cutting off, I think people don't understand R&D. So R&D, when conducted by a company, is money invested on the premise that it will bring a return on that investment in their near future, in the same year, in a couple of years, at most five years, okay? That's what people think of as R&D. But there's another kind of R&D, well, there's just R, the R that goes on in universities, where there is no yet known return on that investment because they're on a frontier that has a greater distance from the applicability of that research. That is the seed corn of tomorrow's innovations, technological innovations. If you take that away and require that all research has to be directed towards a thing, we would have never had the IT revolution in the first place.
0: And that's when all the scientists go to another country because they can get funding
1: there. Exactly. And then America, America, there's another excuse for how and why America will fade.
0: Let's end on a more positive note, shall we? because
2: I'm about to slip <laughs> well, y'all, my wrist, bu- You're bumming
0: me out here. A
2: declining America. Yo, the universe the is a happy
1: place. What are you doing to me here? So <laughs>
0: tell us what you're excited about
1: when it, you look to the future. Is there anything, please, Neil? Well, so yes, I am. Okay, so the next generation, call them 30 and under, I think by my sort of empirical observations – uh, they're more scientifically literate than any previous demographic ever. They grew up with a smartphone. They know, whether or not they understand it, they know that the smartphone, which they embrace, was created by this summation of physics and engineering and space. So they're not the ones statistically telling you I will choose to believe this science and not that science. I don't trust scientists. Scientists, no, these are not those people.
0: They have an agenda.
1: <laughs> right, agenda. Yeah, we all, all this, that's what we do. All scientists get together just to put on a hoax. Yeah, that's what we, that's really what we do. <laughs> so that next generation is is embracing films like The Martian, films like like The Imitation Game, films like... The Theory of Everything, biopics about scientists, and first run dramas that feature science as a character unto itself. There's Matt Damon's character trying to not die by the invocation of his formidable knowledge of STEM fields. Okay, so let's do the math. I have enough food to last for 50 days. He's going to starve to death long before we can help So I'm going to have to science the shit out of this. That was the suspense in the film with a marquee director, which was uh, Ridley Scott, and, and five starring actors, each who have starred in their own film, come together for a movie that was anchored in science. I think if you're under 30, you're just not old enough yet to be senator or president or head of state or head of agency or head of corporation. I give them a few more years. I think they'll straighten it all out, and then I can go to the Bahamas, and they can, and they can fix everything that we broke for them.
0: I understand you have a new book coming out. By yeah, the
1: way, I do. I do. I'm very <laughs> excited it about? about it. So it comes out in just a couple of weeks, the beginning of May, and it's titled "Astrophysics for People in a Hurry." <laughs> and so it is a it is my att- it's a short book, uh, it's an adorable little book. My intent is to take all these fragments of astrophysics headlines that have come your way exoplanets big bang black holes spacex spa- all of these fragments of headlines that are sort of dangling there in front of you and this book brings it together enabling you to consummate your relationship with the cosmos
0: i like that consummate your relationship with the cosmos <laughs> that that sort of sounds sort of dirty no, but na- Neil, naughty. You, you're so poetic when you speak it's it's i'm i'm kind of annoyed I'm jealous, <laughs> because don't you wish you could be this eloquent, Brian? I mean, you are, Brian, but...
2: No, I never I never will be. I, I feel like I could really use the universe for dummies, which is what I'm calling your new book, Neil. So I'm I'm very excited about that.
0: It's not for dummies. I, I, it's, it's for people in a hurry. It's, for, it's only it's for in for, a hurry.
2: Yeah, people in a hurry. That's a little euphemistic,
1: isn't it? Those of us who aren't educated. <laughs> no, no, it is so not dumbed down. I, I, all the language is real.
0: For non-deep so, thinkers, in other no, <laughs> words. No, all the
1: language is real.
0: Well, this has been really fun, really really enlightening and, I think, really important. So, Godspeed,
1: Okay, well, deGrasse Tyson. Thank you. And that's what we say to anyone going to space. Uh, Godspeed. And I, I I take that very warmly and dearly from you.
2: As always, we want to thank our fantastic producer, Gianna Palmer, for putting together the show. To Ryan Connor and Eric Krupke for engineering. As in,
0: Officer Krupke, you've done it again. And then the end of the song, I like, Gee, Officer Krupke. Crap, Crap you. you.
2: <laughs> and to Jared O'Connell <laughs> for mixing the show. And sadly, there's no song about it, Jared. Thanks also to our social will come me- up with something. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Thanks also to our social media maven, Alison Bresnick, and to Emily Bina for her part in producing the show. We also want to thank Nora Ritchie for additional editorial assistance. Mark Phillips, thank you so much for our theme music. Katie Couric, Mitch Semmel, and I are the executive producers of this show.
0: We love hearing from you. We truly do. So don't forget to call us with questions for Ina Garten. I love Ina Garten and my daughters are absolutely obsessed with her. You can call us at 929-224-4637 or you can email us at comments at CouricPodcast.com or you can find me on social media. I'm Katie Couric on Twitter and Instagram, Katie.curric on Snapchat. Brian is GoldsmithB on Twitter. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our show so you get every episode right when it drops, hot off the presses. God, how old do I sound? And we'd love if you'd rate and review us on iTunes. From BBC Radio 4,
1: Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA.
2: He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC
1: podcasts. If you dare. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the
0: ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
1: The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May.